0: and what you're grateful for as the Lord provides for you. So I'll keep just a moment of silence for you to pray to our God in thanksgiving, and then I will lead us in corporate prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we come, O Lord, with thankful hearts. For we know, O Lord, that you have been been kind to us, that you would call us out of darkness and into light of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have forgiven so much, O Lord. Though we were once enemies of you, you, O Lord, have shown us kindness, you've shown us grace, you've shown us forgiveness. And we, O oh Lord, are thankful for your sustaining care in our lives. We are thankful, O Lord, for your sustaining care for our church as well, that you have been a kind God to us. As one year ago, O oh Lord, I thank you that you allowed me the opportunity to meet this congregation here today. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your care, for your care for the smallest among us to the most mature and aged. But we, O oh Lord, come praying for other things as well. We think of our own civil government. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would instill perhaps a greater sense of thanksgiving in our civil life. O oh Lord, we are such a grumbly nation, so discontented with every little detail. We are oversaturated by our news, overconnected digitally. And often, O oh Lord, that makes us not only depressed, but it makes us grumble. And so, Lord, we pray for our civil realm. We pray, O Lord, that we this week would be a people of thanksgiving. But we also pray, O Lord, for our Supreme Court as they continue to exercise justice over our land. We pray as they continue to take up cases that you would bless each and every one of them. That they would uphold constitutional law and that you would be, O Lord, with our Chief Justice, Roberts, in that end. That the law written on each and every one of their hearts would reign supreme as they seek to protect perhaps the marginalized and those who have received great injustice. We pray, O oh Lord, also for the mission of the church. We think of Ileana Presbytery that met not too many weeks ago, but we think of the churches within our bounds and we pray for them. Whether they be on all the way the other side of the Presbytery, at the other Providence Presbyterian church, or they be our sister church here at Center Grove. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to aid the churches within our geographical bounds. We pray for Center Grove Presbyterian Church and their pastor, Wes James. And we pray, Lord, that even today as he preaches the Word of God, that you would, O oh Lord, humble him to greater conformity of the truth of Christ. And that by that humbling, O oh Lord, the congregation of center grove would continue to grow spiritually as they sit under the nurture and admonition of the lord we pray O oh lord well for that congregation that you would continue O oh lord by your sustaining grace to keep them and to keep them well we pray for their assistant pastor ryan deal as he continues to serve the youth there we pray that you'd be a blessing you'd use him as a blessing to that congregation be with our brothers and sisters really not so far away. And bless their ministry. Oh, Lord, grow their church spiritually. Grow their church numerically. And grow their church in continual conformity to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that same way, we pray in many regards for our own congregation. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would be a people of spirit and truth, but that we would on this day grow in thanksgiving and unity. We pray, O Lord, that we as a people would preserve the peace and purity of the church. That we would pursue its unity, O Lord, by pursuing its peace. And by pursuing its purity, by conforming our hearts and minds to the doctrine that we hold as true. O Lord, raise up a spirit of unity among us. That we, by our profession might be a united people and be with those who are lost as we have read many passages today in regards to those who are wicked we pray O lord that you would soften their hearts we think of those who are lost in australia though they might seem so foreign and alien to us we pray O lord that those who do not know you there would have a heart softening for the gospel and that you would continue to use gospel ministers there to preach christ To gather and perfect the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ together. The true mission of the church. Oh Lord, we pray for revival in Australia as we pray for it in our own land. But be with the faithful churches there. Be with the Presbyterian church there. As she proclaims Christ to those who are dead and dying. And be with us, oh Lord. Be with us as we need your help here today as we enter into a season of perhaps melancholy with seasonal sadness and depression, we pray, O Lord, that you would remind us of your sustaining grace. O Lord, instill within each and every one of our hearts joy. For those who are ailing within our congregation today, perhaps silently without any public display of letting anyone know, we pray, O Lord, that you would be kind to them. Be kind to us. Remind us of all that you've done. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me into the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. Today we look at a passage that we're probably all familiar with. We know that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. But what we learn here today is a clarification of who your neighbor is. You might think your neighbor is merely those who are geographically landlocked to you on your streets. But what we learn today is that our neighbor is more than that. It is anyone whom we come in contact with, including the difficult calling of our neighbors even being our enemies. As the Lord Jesus Christ gives us perhaps one of the most difficult commands in the scriptures, not only to love our neighbors, those who perhaps deserve our love, but also to love those who hate us. In other words, this passage teaches us plainly that we must learn to love like Christ loved. That's what Christ calls us to do, not to love in a way that he himself has not loved. Stand now as we hear from Luke chapter 6, picking up in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Excuse me. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good, do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend To sinners and get back the same amount but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to ungrateful the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. We pick up, perhaps, on the heels of last week. You might be wondering why these sermons are in parts. It's because there was a large section of Scripture that I anticipated to preach in one fell swoop. It had been like 30, 40 verses, and I decided that I could do no justice to this whole passage if I did that. And so I broke it into four parts. And this is the second part of one great scene as Jesus calls his disciples to himself, the 12 who would become apostles. This is all one large scene. He goes down from that calling to preach to those who are among them and to teach and train his disciples. And one of the first things that he does in training them is calling them to the blessed life. That's what we heard a few weeks ago. And the second lesson he teaches them, if he were to be their apostles, their disciples, they must learn to love their enemies. We all have enemies. You cannot deceive yourself into thinking you have no enemies. I recall one of my enemies uh, is one of the guys that I had to unfortunately work with at Buffalo Wild Wings, and so I had to deal with him on a regular basis. He was the guy that trained me. He was a talented cook in the kitchen, very abled. But there was this work culture at Buffalo Wild Wings that I would imagine is at most restaurants where everyone is starved for hours. You see, every new hire jeopardized your own income. And so what did these trainers do to their trainees? They wanted to ensure that they would not stay employed for long. He made my life utter miserable. I can remember one scene most poignantly after he asked me to grab a bag of wings. He shamed me before all the kitchen staff and said, look at this lost puppy dog. How will he ever survive in this kitchen? He was an enemy from day one. Wanted nothing to do with this man. It's such a traumatic experience in my life. I've blocked out his name from my own mind. I can't even tell you his name. But he is my enemy he was hostile i wanted nothing to do with him and in this passage if i would have recalled it at this time at that time i would have found it immensely difficult i was called to love him learning to love people that make your life miserable is difficult but that is what the lord calls us to today jesus calls us to love the most difficult people in our lives those who are our actual enemies he encourages us to love those who hate us as the crowd hears this message as jesus gathers them in they are expecting to be healed they are expecting a good news a good message they are likely not expecting this one those who are there must learn to love one another You are reminded just a few weeks ago that those who were in the crowd to receive this message were actually enemies of one another. From those who are from Tyre and Sidon, those who are from Jerusalem and Israel, they were enemies. You remember Josephus saying they were the bitterest of enemies at the time that the Lord Jesus was ministering to them. They wanted nothing to do with one another. They were Republicans and Democrats. They hated one another. And yet Jesus calls them... love? I don't know about you, but do you find it easy to love people? I sometimes find it easy to love even those who deserve my love. I am not the perfect, most loving man caring for my family and my friends. I often do so in an incomplete manner. My love even has its limits for those who I love. It's difficult to love. Love is not the easiest thing in the human experience, and you all know that. But how much more difficult is it to love those who hate us? My natural, the man on the inside, the old man within me, the man in the basement, wants to repay evil for evil. As we read the proverb today, as ruling elder Lawler said those great words, do not delight in the downfall of your enemies. How often have you delighted in the downfall of your enemies? We tend to. We tend to long for it. The dopamine hit that our minds experience when those who deserve what they get, get it. And yet today, we are called to love like Christ. That's the main idea. Love like Christ. How does Christ love? Well, first, we've said it about a hundred times already, you love your enemies. You love your enemies. Look at verse 27 with me. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. We first have to define two great ideas in this passage. What does Jesus mean by love? We have to caveat that as you'd all like to. And we have to learn who is our enemy. Who is Jesus talking about? We have to know what Jesus means by love and who is our enemy. I'm sure you are all hoping in your uncomfortably metal chairs that I caveat this to death. So that you don't have to love any of your actual enemies. But what does love mean here? Jesus uses, Jesus uses that famous word, probably one of the only Greek words that you know, it's agape. Agape. He does not choose in this passage to use storge. There are four Greek words for love. He doesn't use storge, which is a natural love. This is the love that I have for my children. It's natural. It comes to me naturally. As Henry came into this world, as I saw him for the first time, there's a natural, whelming love. That's a storge love. He doesn't call us to love our enemies naturally. Nor does he call us to love our enemies. That second Greek word for love, eros. This is the romantic love, the love I have for my wife. Doesn't, thank the Lord he doesn't call us to love our enemies in that way. He doesn't call us to love them naturally like your children. So there are caveats here, right? You don't have to love your enemies like you love your children. You don't have to love your enemies like you love your wife. And The third one the Lord could have chosen was philia. This is a kinship love, a friendship love. You don't even have to love your, friend, your enemies like your friends. Great news, the caveats are here. You don't have to love your enemies like any of those ways. Instead, you have to love your enemies with an agape love. An agape love is not natural. It is not romantic. It is not kindred. It is unconditional. It is loving despite. You don't fall into this kind of love. You choose this kind of love. This kind of love doesn't necessarily need to be bound up with your emotions. You might think of love so carnally that it has to you have to feel love for your enemies. No. What we learn in this passage is that Jesus is saying that you have to love your enemies actionably, not mere, not not emotionally, but actionably. That is the choice. That each one of us has to make. The agape love. An unconditional choice that we love our enemies. But who are our enemies? You got love. You got the caveats. You don't have to love your enemies like your children, wife, or friend. But who are your enemies? You probably want me to narrow that one like I narrowed the last category. Probably more than the last category. But it is generic and broad every enemy that you have it could apply to sports teams i'm a white Sox fan and so i'm to love my enemies i do it in my own home but it does also personal enemies religious enemies political enemies the lord calls us to agape love all of them It goes on in this passage in verse 28, as you look down, Jesus actually defines your enemies for you so you don't have to. You don't have to leave it up to imagination. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer also the other one. To those who take your cloak, give them your tunic. Give everyone who begs of you and from the one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. Jesus outlines your enemies here. Those who hate you. Those who hate you. Those who want to see your demise. Those who want to see you destroyed. Those who curse you. Those who desire the misfortune of their deities upon you. They curse you. They want you to to have demise. To those who abuse you. To those who check you. You think of those who strike on the other cheek this isn't fighting in the ancient world to be slapped was disgraceful you know if you, if i if one of you came up and slapped me you know like will smith during a few years ago that wasn't a fight it was disgraceful right we all had outrage for that that's the kind of idea here When you are disgraced publicly turn your cheek and let them disgrace you further For those who steal and rob from you do not demand it back there is a progression here for our enemies to do those to do good to those who hate you we're called to love with our actions and to do good to those who wrong us we are not to be petty and to undermine them we are to do good to bless those who curse you is to love with our speech How natural is it when we gossip and slander one another, we just want to do, we want to return it back. But instead we are to love in our speech, to pray for those who abuse you, that is to love with our hearts, asking for God to rescue those who seek to physically harm us, to pray for those who abuse. And then we see all those three things, words, actions, and prayer for those who hate us any enemy that you have these are the this is the temperament the general temperament that we have and this is so countercultural and that's why Jesus commands it there's no one in here that naturally wants to do any of this their own sinful tendencies do not want this but yet the lord calls us to triumph over evil with good you aren't permitted to go down into the mud and start slinging it back at your enemy. You have to take the high road. And the high road is what the Lord outlines here. To love your enemies. To do good for them. To pray for them. When they curse you, you speak kindly of them. This isn't merely a Jesus thing, though. If you go back to the Old Testament, we'd see the same sort of reaction in the Jewish system of thinking. In Exodus... What does the Lord teach the Israelites? If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey and he's going astray, you shall bring it back to him. In Proverbs, and just another passage later, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him drink, drink, water to drink. This is the natural theology of the Bible. How do we treat those who hate us? We love them. We love them with an agape love. Whether it be private or public, we are called to love our enemies. Whether it be general or specific. Whether it be companies, politicians, reckless drivers, dictators, or terrorists. There is a call for love. It's very general and out there. But perhaps it could be your demeaning boss, your scheming coworkers, your angry neighbors, your hostile spouses, your former friends called to love Ambrose said this once in the fourth century that the Christian is called to love to trade love or to offer love for hostility, benevolence for hatred, prayer for curses, and help for the persecution that they receive. Ambrose is right, but why? why are we called to love our enemies? It is because there is an explicit connection between the love of God to us. Why are we called to love our enemies? Because God loves you and you are his enemy. The Lord Jesus Christ took on human flesh in the midst of a bunch of enemies and chose to call them to himself. Why do you love your enemy? It is because God loves you and you are his enemy. He chose to die for you. His humanity crucified that you might have life in him. In other words, why we are called to love our enemies is to display the love of God that he has already offered to us. We were all enemies, unredeemable in our sin, and the Lord called us to himself. And what better way, than when we're thinking of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to share it not only with our words, but with our actions of love associated with them. It goes a long way. How good are you at loving your enemy? When's the last time you have done any of these things for your enemies? When have you loved them? What words of blessing have you spoken about your enemies? What deeds of mercy and grace have you done for those who have abused you? It is a challenge for each and every one of us. And it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear especially those who have been abused. It's hard to hear. But I'm not calling you to love your enemies like even a friend. But we are called to love them. And Jesus further enumerates how that looks in the Christian life. Sure, we got the general idea of the theology, but in the rest of the passage we see what that tangibly looks like. How are you to love your enemies, even if they revile and hate you? Well, we see in verses 31 to 34 that we are to do good. The main way you love your enemies is doing good. Verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, you do also to them the golden rule as it were. And my Nominal Catholic home. We knew this rule more than any. I grew up memorizing this one verse, I think. But you don't need to be a Christian to know the golden rule. Well, Dale Ralph Davis, one of my favorite contemporary preachers, says, every pagan Tom, Dick, and Harry and Harriet knows this one. It's a good old rule. It's a good old boy system. Do good. Treat others how, they, how you yourself want to be treated. The problem is, as we read that one verse, we forget the rest of the verses around it. Even the pagans use this verse. They all treat those who, how they want to be treated. But this golden rule is not merely a golden rule as you look at the rest of the verse associated with it. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. What Jesus is trying to build us up towards is you're, a, a, you're called to apply this golden rule, not merely to those who deserve it, but those who do not deserve it. You are to do good to those who do not deserve your good. To those who actually transpire against your good, you are to do even good to them In my ministry in the South, what I learned quite quickly is that blood is often thicker than water. And what that meant is that your clan stuck close together, you and yours. You defended them through thick and thin. Whether they were obviously wrong, they were your kin. You defended them. You're called to that same sort of zeal that perhaps our southern brothers and sisters have for even your enemies. You're not to falsely defend them, but you are called to do good with that. That's the great calling for every disciple here. It's easy to follow the golden rule when you're merging on highways, you know, it's easy when you're picking up after yourself at home, relationships in the office, resolving disputes with a neighbor. It is much more difficult to face this golden rule when we face injustice and abuse it is much harder to love to do good to those who seek to harm us but this is the sort of love that god extends to us he does good to us and we are called to do good for one another one of the main ways that people can come to know the infinite love of god is by doing good for them sometimes we believe that the, the best thing that we could do as we are sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is to have such a perfect thought, a perfect defense of the faith written out and ready to go. That if I just woo them with the right words, they will come to believe. But we're reminded in 1 Corinthians that it is not merely right words that lead to the conversion of people. It is the love that comes from our heart. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 13, though often preached in wedding ceremonies, is actually just as applicable here for us today. It's the same Greek word. How are we to love our enemies? We must be patient and kind, not envious nor boasting, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on its own ways. It's not irritable or resentful, rejoicing at wrongdoing the rejoicing in the church. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's a difficult, difficult calling to love our enemies. It's a difficult calling to love those who hate us. And yet that's what makes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so revolutionary. The call To love our enemies. It's a difficult call, but we do so by doing. Love like Christ. How do you love like Christ? You love your enemies. We also learn that you're called to do good. And the last call, perhaps the most difficult, is that you are to lend freely. You see, Most of our relationships are gives and takes. But what we see in this last point is that we are to lend and give freely. Look down at verse 35. It's an inclusio of sorts. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is Merciful. The last thing we are to do is to give without ever receiving. Sometimes our love for one another is so reciprocal. We must have exchangement of goods. I give you my love, you give me your love back. But what Jesus says, you must offer your love to your enemies with the anticipation of it never coming back to you. You must love unconditionally. Don't expect for those who are your enemies to ever pay you back. It's an act of mercy that the Christian is called towards. It's this inward disposition of being merciful to all men. I have a friend who is a boilermaker, and he has one of the largest hearts I know. Uh, oddly enough, uh, he was a drug dealer in high school, but he's a boilermaker now. No longer selling drugs, but large heart. Large heart. Uh, during the summer, he works 70 to 90 hours a week. Uh, in those those boilers. Uh, They usually turn off the boilers in the summer, and they only have so many days to work on them before they must launch back up, because time is money. And so he works just crazy hours. And as a tradesman, I mean, golly, his checks are just, whew, they they blow any of ours out just in that time frame. He's unemployed for some of that after, but, I mean, he just takes home a decent amount. And he can't spend it, because he's working 90 hours a week. I just wouldn't spend any money when you're working 90 hours a week. So it just accumulates. And his large heart, I've, I've seen him on many occasions just freely give, much more liberally than I, I give, I'll tell you that. I remember one family uh, who he bought a washer and dryer for, and they promised to give him the money for it when they got around to having it. And I thought, that is, there is no return on that investment man you are never going to see that money back. And he never did. And, and he had that gospel heart, though. Uh, he, he is perhaps not the most mature Christian even today, but he is one that gives. One that gives to people that I would never give to because of the squandering nature of it. I'm always wondering, what do I get back? But he gives and gives freely. I wish I had a heart like him. One of the great enemies of the faith, Julian the Apostate, who vigorously tried to restore paganism in the Roman Empire, commented on this passage and how Christians were applying it. And he said this, Atheism, which he's talking about the Christian faith here, Atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal, he said, Julian said. It is a scandal that not a single Jew is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, the Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for our help and we cannot render it to them. That is the type of love in the early church That even Christians would bury the dead of pagan idolaters in order to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the calling for us here today. To lend freely. I don't even know how many early church Christians got a thank you note from those pagans who they offered to bury their dead for. But that is the Christian way. One of the reasons the Christian faith ignited The ancient Roman world is because of these sorts of principles how does one combat those who love their enemies they cannot and that is the Christ love that we are to show one another when I was at Buffalo Wild Wings I had many enemies it was a cutthroat system it's a cutthroat system that you sought after your own good and no one else's but I wish If I could go back, I could better eternalize this policy of Christ. There were times that I was kind to my nasty co-workers, even to the cruel ones. But I wish I was more of a friend or more of a loving uh, person to them when they were so vile to me. Maybe I would have looked a little different. Jesus Christ calls us to this because this is what makes us different. It's one of the first things he teaches his disciples for a reason. It is because this is what will show the world the love of God. Loving those who are cruel. Loving those who are nasty. Loving those who we naturally want to take vengeance upon. And instead sharing the love of Christ. So that's my calling for you on this Thanksgiving week. (laughs) Love those who hate you. Love those who curse you. Love those who persecute you. Love those who abuse you. Who, Who shame you publicly. Because that is the gospel that the Lord calls us to wield. Both word and action. Word and deed. Love your enemy. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for this gospel, though difficult as it may be. O Lord, I can't fathom the various injustices that many of us have experienced in this congregation, but I do know the principle that you've called us. You've called us to love. May we, O Lord, exemplify that love that you've given to us by loving all. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.